0: God is faithful, isn't he? Have we not seen his faithfulness? Have we not seen his faithfulness? Have we not seen his faithfulness in our lives this morning? Amen. We embark on a new teaching series. We embark on a new book of the Bible. So if you would do me a favor, open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. We're going to be spending the next several weeks in the book of Acts, I'm excited. If you don't have a Bible with you, there is a Bible on the pew back in front of you that you can grab and you can turn to page 909, 909. The title of today's sermon is The Promise of the Holy Spirit. Now we're gonna dive a little deep, hold your breath, we're gonna come back for air, don't you worry, and I may end on time, but that's okay. Right, I may end on time. No, I won't. Maybe. Um, one of the beautiful things about the Book of Acts, right, is the Book of Acts is actually a continuation of God's plan through the work of the Holy Spirit. Right, so we have the Gospels, and the Gospels are about the presence and ministry of Jesus, and then you turn to the Book of Acts, and you're like, what is this book about? But in fact, it's a continuation of what God was already doing in the Gospels. The only difference is now God's doing it through the work of the Spirit. And God is still working, right? Even after the book of Acts, God is still working. He has a redemptive plan and he's working it out in the church, in us, through me and you. So let's read Acts chapter one. We're gonna be in the first 11 verses this morning. We always read in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse one. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he had said, you heard from me, verse five, from John the baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. Everyone say power. power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Everyone say witnesses. witnesses. In Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, these are angels, and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come In the same way as you have saw him go into heaven. There's a lot to unpack. But before we dive into the passage, we got to go a little deeper. Just a little deeper. The official title of the book of Acts is actually, you might see it in your Bible at the very top of the page. It says the Acts of the Apostles. Now, that's a good title. And a a a not a bad title but in fact really what the title should be is the acts of the holy spirit because it's not just the work of the apostles that we see we actually see from the very beginning the work of the holy spirit in the people of god in the apostles in the church And we also see from chapter 1 all the way to the last chapter of Acts is that the Spirit of God is moving and building the kingdom of God of which they're talking about. And we also see in this passage, right, some ideas, some theological perspectives that we'll unpack in a little bit but I want to give you a short outline this is the outline of the entire book of Acts they'll put the outline on the screen for you and this is this is the outline right so in the first seven chapters of Acts we see the church begins in Jerusalem right that is the promise of Acts chapter 1 verse 8 right that that they were to stay in Jerusalem Jerusalem is a very important city for God even for Jesus right So the church begins in Jerusalem, and we see in the first seven chapters of Acts that the primary focus of the work of the Spirit is going to be in Jerusalem. We also see in the second part of the book of Acts is the church grows in Judea and Samaria. Judea is the region in Israel. Samaria is also part of a region, but it's not a Jewish area. It's primarily Gentiles. So we're going to see the gospel and the church advance in the city of Jerusalem. Then we're going to see it expand in the region of Judea. We're going to see it expand further out from Judea in the region of Samaria. Then we're going to see the church advance rapidly to the ends of the earth from Acts chapter 13 to 28. But I want to also explain something about the book of Acts, right? We're going a little deeper now. I'm going to give you two terms, two important terms to understand as we traverse through the book of Acts. Two terms. The first term is descriptive versus prescriptive, right? I want to briefly explain what descriptive and prescriptive is, right? Um, Descriptive is recounting or explaining what has happened in Scripture, right? Descriptive is recounting and explaining what had happened in Scripture, And while we understand that term, we have to understand prescriptive. Prescriptive means that it explains what should happen. Descriptive explains what had happened. And prescriptive explains what should happen. When you go to the doctor and he prescribes you a prescription, he is telling you, go do this so you can be better. Right? When we are descriptive, we're describing what has happened. Now... When we read the book of Acts, we have to keep in mind that the book of Acts is descriptive. It is describing events that had happened in the church. And the reason why I'm explaining this is because many times we believe and many churches think that we have to replicate exactly what happened in the book of Acts so that we can receive what they had in the book of Acts. So this means that we don't have to go, we'll see in a couple of chapters, that we don't have to go into an upper room for 40 days and pray to receive the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, right? We don't have to do the things that they did so that we can reap the benefits that they had. That's why the book of Acts is descriptive. Everyone say descriptive. Man, you guys are theologians already. Second thing that we're going to talk about is we're going to break down a little bit the first 11 verses. So they'll put on the screen a little breakdown that I I've gave you of the first chapter. The first part, the first three verses that we'll focus on is the prologue. It's the introduction. And in the introduction, we find out who the author is, who he's writing to, and why he's writing. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Second section right is verses 4 to 8 that we'll talk about is the apostles commission this is the command this is what god has called them to do this is what he wants them to do and as we read before in verses 9 to 11 we're going to see the ascension It's when finally jesus goes up to heaven he's commissioned his apostles and now he's saying i'm out of here my job is done but wait i'm coming back that's beautiful, isn't it? Okay, let's go to verse one and two. Look at verse one and two with me, right? There are three things that we notice just in the first two verses. One, we notice that Luke is the author of this book. We know this from history because in fact, Luke mentions himself in these passages in the, in the 28 chapters. We also know that the book of Acts is actually the second volume to, to Luke's gospel. Luke writes the gospel, and his desire is that we will read the gospel and then read the book of Acts. It's a two-volume account. You'll see, right, the way he ends in Luke transfers over to the way he starts in the book of Acts. The second thing we notice that he's writing to Theophilus. Everyone say "Theophilus." Theophilus. We have no clue who this guy is. Here's what we do know, that his name means lover of God or love of God. And what scholars and theologians believe is that Theophilus was a Christian who was a patron of Luke or Paul. He probably donated a lot of money to the church, particularly Luke or Paul. And he wanted an account of what was happening in the church. And Luke is writing this gospel and volume on the book of Acts to give to him as an account of the history of the church. Some other scholars think that this is actually the reason why Luke is writing the gospel and writing the book of Acts is because he's writing to Paul's lawyer. We're going to find out later in the book of Acts that Paul is actually in prison and he's going to go to Caesar. He's going to appeal to Caesar, right? And the reason why he's going to appeal to Caesar is because they put him in jail and they've accused him of crimes that he didn't commit. So he's going to appeal to Caesar, and the thought behind it is that Luke got a lawyer. This lawyer is Theophilus. Theophilus needs to know what's going on. They're giving him the case, and Theophilus is going to end up in Rome with Paul to defend his case. What evidence do we have of that? Nothing. That's what they say. I'm just telling you what they tell me so that you know. You do what you want with it. So that's what we find out. We find out who he's writing to. But also what we see in the last part of verse 2, right? The last part of verse 2 says, right, after he had had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he chose. We already see that Luke's intention for the reader and for us is to see that the work of the Spirit has already been working in the ministry of Jesus when he called the apostles. And in a sense, in verse 2, Luke is closing out the gospel and reorienting, reshifting our focus to the ministry of the Holy Spirit away from the ministry of Jesus. Not that that was a bad thing, but it's that Jesus' earthly ministry has come to an end, and now the ministry of the Holy Spirit is unfolding. Let's move on to verses 3 to 5. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Remember, right, after the crucifixion and Christ's resurrection, Jesus now, he appears to his apostles and disciples for 40 days. The difference this time is that he doesn't stay with them the whole time. He appears here, disappears, comes back, and his main job, his main role, is to proclaim the kingdom of God. Remember, that is the primary job that Jesus had with his disciples, is to teach them about the kingdom of God. And before he leaves, he's going to reiterate those commands, those teachings about the kingdom of God. And he does it for 40 days, and I want you to pay attention to that 40 days. These are jewish believers the apostles and i think what luke is pointing to us and pointing to the jewish believers about this is that jesus is preparing them for 40 days now where have we seen 40 days before well we've seen 40 days in the old testament moses goes up to the mountain mount sinai he spends 40 days before the presence of God and what was God giving Moses? What was God doing for Moses? He was teaching Moses the law. He was giving Moses the law. What do we see in the gospels when Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days? Jesus being prepared for ministry, to be tempted by Satan, but to prepare him for ministry. Do you see the parallel? That in this moment now Jesus is continuing the ritual, continuing the practice of training his believers even after his resurrection for 40 days to train them and prepare them for ministry. But we also see in the subsequent verses that not only what he he was teaching them about the kingdom of God, he's reminding them of a spiritual truth that they were reminded of in the gospels. And it's found in verse four and five. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. And what was this promise? Well, he says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. The promise of the Father is very clear. It's the Holy Spirit. And how do we know this? Well, we can go back to the Gospel of Luke. Luke 24, 49 says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So what is this power that they're going to receive? Well, we know it's from the Holy Spirit. It's an endowment from the Holy Spirit. But he also mentions John the Baptist. John the Baptist in the gospels provided an assurance. He provided actually an assurance that we still practice today, which is the baptism of water, meaning that we, say, we practice even in our church that you are baptized in water as a sign of the forgiveness of your sin and a sign that you are also buried and raised to life in the likeness of Jesus Christ. But this time, he's promising them a power from the Spirit, a baptism from the Spirit. Now, we should understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that we ourselves have to be baptized by the Holy Spirit the same way the apostles were baptized by the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean that what he's going to instruct them to do to stay in Jerusalem in the upper room to receive the Holy Spirit that you and I have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit that way. We are baptized if you are a believer, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior, King and Lord over everything, then you at your conversion, the time that you made that decision, you are automatically baptized with the Holy Spirit at your conversion and it happens at your conversion. And that's the the beauty, right? That you and I don't have to do anything at all. That is the work of the spirit that's doing it for us. Imagine that, that we serve a God who is faithful enough to do the work that we can't do in ourselves, that he seals us to the end of eternity, that we don't have to worry about our life, we don't have to worry about our salvation, We are immediately given the Holy Spirit. And not only that, we are given power as well. But we don't have to do it the way they did it. It was special to them. It was special for them. Why? Because what God was going to do, he was going to do through the apostles in ways that we haven't seen since that time. We should also know, right? that the disciples were commanded to wait because God wanted to baptize in the spirit for a specific reason, and that is to coincide with the Jewish Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks is when the Jews celebrated the first fruits of the year's harvest. This was a symbol of a spiritual harvest being inaugurated under the new covenant. So the reason why he wanted them to wait is so that he can baptize them with the spirit so that it would coincide with the Jewish celebration of the harvest, the feast of weeks, and that it would signal to us, the readers as well, it would signal that the first fruits were the first physical harvest of the year. So what God was harvesting was he was doing it first in the apostles to show that it was in connection with the Jewish feast. Do you see that? It just means that we don't have to do that, it just means that it's different for us. We also see that the apostles are commissioned in the subsequent verses. I know I'm going a little deep, but this is important for us to understand. It's important for us to reorient the way we think about the Holy Spirit. Look at verse six and seven. So when they had come together and they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom? All right? So now he's commissioned them. He says, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. And since his resurrection, he's been teaching about the kingdom of God. But here's a glimpse that we see about the apostles that hasn't changed just yet. What is the question that they asked Jesus? Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel today? And is it now? You just see that they still haven't changed yet. They've seen the resurrected Lord. They've seen him proclaim the kingdom of God. And what they're concerned about is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not the power that they're going to receive to do ministry, not the fact that they've seen a man crucified, die, buried, who's proclaimed to be king over all and come out of their tomb alive, and they're stunned. No, that's not what they're concerned about in this passage concerned about whether or not he's going to establish the kingdom of Israel. They still haven't changed yet. Here's why. I want to give you a couple of points on the distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Israel. They're going to put a slide up on the screen for that. See what the disciples and the apostles were concerned about is that now that they were going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, they thought, yes, this is the time when God is gonna establish his kingdom for Israel. Now here's the difference, here's what they wanted. They wanted a kingdom that was physical. They wanted a kingdom that was local. They wanted a kingdom that was immediate. They wanted God to establish the kingdom of Israel of which he had promised in the Old Testament. But what they wanted was they wanted it now. And they wanted it here. And what God was going to show them is that the kingdom of God is spiritual. It's bigger than the Jews It's the Jews who will follow Jesus and the Gentiles who will follow Jesus. And the kingdom of God is not limited, right, to the state of Israel or to the land of Israel. The kingdom of God includes the universe. That's the kingdom of God. You and I are the beneficiaries of that, that we now are included in the kingdom of God, whereas the disciples wanted a kingdom for themselves. And what we also know about the kingdom of God, and we'll see this throughout the book of Acts, is that the kingdom of God was gradual. It wasn't going to be immediate. Because guess what? 2,000 years later, we're in this room still waiting to see the fulfillment of that kingdom that includes you and I. So in verse 3, Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of God, reminding his disciples of what he taught them, While there in verse 6, they're thinking about the kingdom for themselves. And what he's pointing to is that the kingdom is spiritual and the work is going to be done by the spirit through the apostles. So how is he going to do this? How is God in his redemptive plan going to do this? expand the kingdom, make it grow, make it global, gradually expand the kingdom. How is he going to do this? We'll see it in verse 8. This is how the kingdom is going to expand. Look at verse 8. Verse 8, in fact, is the key verse for the entire book of Acts. The entire book of Acts. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the, Spirit, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There are three elements to the promise of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the witness and their mission. The apostles were going to receive power that would equip them in their new role. The apostles were going to receive power to equip them to to move about, not only in their country, but also expand throughout the known world. And while the apostles were trying to obtain political power, while they were trying to obtain military power, their natural ambition was inclined to be political. God is showing them that they will receive divine power, the endowment of the Holy Spirit to equip them to do the work of the ministry that was beyond political or military. It's not a coincidence that their mission would begin in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place that Jesus was led to, where he was crucified, where he died and was buried. And it is in Jerusalem that the church will expand and grow through the work of of the apostles. So the story of the church, our beginnings, you and I start in the very place where death and sin was conquered. And it was the place that God wanted the apostles to wait for the Holy Spirit. And I think it's important for us to remember the priority of the Holy Spirit. I think many times in our churches, we have forgotten about the Holy Spirit. We are, very, we are very cautious about talking about the Holy Spirit. Many churches, we don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit. In fact, some churches talk about the Holy Spirit as though it was an it or a thing or something that we can grasp. And, and the Holy Spirit is a person, a part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is the one that's working in the lives of God's people. And I think we need to go back to the priority of the Holy Spirit, realizing that He is moving among His people. The fruits of the Spirit that we have comes from the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit for us to do the work of the ministry comes from Him. It is the Holy Spirit that stirs our affection and our hearts to Jesus. He is the one that convicts us of our sin. He's the one that every time we fall short, every time we commit a sin, he says, run back to Jesus. Go back to Jesus. It is the priority of the Holy Spirit that helps us move and do what we can't do in ourselves. It's the Holy Spirit who's working. Sometimes we forget in our prayers about the Holy Spirit. And there are churches who have abused the power of the Spirit, and there are churches who have misled congregations about the Holy Spirit, but we see here that the Holy Spirit is moving and working, and so often we're afraid. There's nothing to be afraid about. It is the power of the Spirit. You know that it is the power of the Spirit that put to death death and sin, That's what Romans chapter 15 says, that the Holy Spirit, the one of the works of the Holy Spirit is that he put to death the law of sin and death in our lives. It is the power of the Spirit that actually gives us hope. Think about that, that us coming out of a pandemic, us moving into a weird and trying and difficult year it is the holy spirit that empowers us is the holy spirit that gives us hope Amen. i was just talking to someone today and they were telling me about some some issues that they had with their friends and some suicides and problems and issues and he tells me what would life be like if we didn't have christ i would say what would life be like if we didn't have the spirit who gives us hope, think about the world, hopeless. And you and I get to sit in this room knowing that the Spirit of God is working and moving in our lives in ways that we cannot explain. The priorities of the Holy Spirit is important. And here's why the priority of the Holy Spirit is important, specifically in chapter one. The priority of the Holy Spirit is for power. We too, like the apostles, need the Holy Spirit to give us power. It is the Spirit of God who draws unbelieving people to the gospel. It is the spirit of God that illuminates the hearts and minds of unbelievers to understand the truth of the gospel. It is the power of the spirit that put to death the law of sin. And by the power of the spirit, the church becomes a faithful witness of the ministry of Jesus Christ. It is the spirit of God who enables the church to reach cities for the gospel. It is the spirit of God who gives us the desire to reach Akron, to reach Nordonia, to reach Medina, to reach Wadsworth, and to reach Green for the kingdom of God. It is the Spirit of God who puts in us a desire to go to Vietnam, to go to Cambodia, to go to India, to go to Mexico, and tell them about the ministry of Jesus Christ. It is the Spirit of God who moves in the church. Who do you think does that if not the Spirit of God? And let me say this. The Saturate Movement is not about how much money we raised. The Saturate Movement is not about what we can do. The Saturate Movement is not about the cities that we can go to. The Saturate Movement is what the Spirit of God is doing through the faithful obedience of the church. The Saturate Movement is a demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God despite every obstacle. That's what was said in the video, right? The Spirit of God gives us the desire to take ground. We're not here to retreat. We're here to move forward. We're here to expand the kingdom. And if this church were ever closed, there will be a new generation to raise up another church because the Spirit of God is the one who enables the church to move forward. It is from generation to generation that the Spirit of God has placed in people's hearts to start churches all over the world. It's not about the numbers. It's not about the money. It's about the Spirit of God. The Saturate Movement is not about what we can do. It's about what God is doing in the Holy Spirit through the church. And the Saturate Movement is a declaration to an unbelieving world. Listen to me. The Saturate Movement is a demonstration to the world that we're not going anywhere. We're staying right here. Why? Because it's not us who's working. It's the Spirit of God that's working in us. We're not going anywhere. The church ain't going anywhere. So many of us get disappointed when we see churches close, and it's a sad thing. So many of us get disappointed when we see the pews empty, and that is a sad thing. But the Spirit of God is still working. You'll see in stories to come in the next couple of weeks of what God is doing across the world through the chapel, but most important, the spirit of God. Hallelujah. We're not going anywhere. We're going to stay right here in Northeast Ohio proclaiming the good news of Jesus to every city. Amen. Cost us what it cost us. We're going to do it. Because that's what happened in the New Testament, right? When you look at the book of Acts, People have to die. I mean, we are standing on a a firm foundation that is the ministry of Jesus Christ, the death, bell, and resurrection, but also it came at a cost. Not only his life, but the lives of all the apostles, the life of the disciples, and the martyrs. It has cost us something. And if it costs Christ something, then he's going to do something about it. The church is not going anywhere. The universal church, the people of God, we're not going anywhere. The spirit of God is still moving. And in fact, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is actually a a reiteration of the great commission for the apostles. But here's the great commission for us. It's found in Matthew 28 All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Doing what? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And who is with us always? It is the Spirit of Christ who is with us to the end of the age. We, in faithful response to the gospel, we, in faithful response to the ministry of Jesus, we, in faithful response to the work of the Spirit, are commanded to go and make disciples. God has given us a purpose, God has given the chapel a vision and a mission to see people come to Christ, to see people come to Christ knowing that life is is much better with him. The mission of the church still continues. And we see that the mission will continue until the return of Christ. Because if you look at verses nine to 11, the promises is, is that he's coming back. When is he coming back? When the church completes his mission. When we complete our mission, when God says in his sovereignty and his plan, it is time to go, we are out of here. Like I said it before, beam me up, Scotty. I'm ready to go right now. So if we have to plant more churches, we need to go now because I'm ready to get out of here. <laughs> I'm just joking. You know that, right? Not really. Um, here's a quote that I want to share with you that I think is a powerful quote. Um, it's a beautiful quote. It's, it talks about verse 9 and 11 in this way, right, that, that as the disciples, remember, this is before the upper room. This is before that they find themselves praying and receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. This is when Christ is ascending into heaven, and he's commanding him, commanding them to do these things. And this, this quote that I'm going to share with you is a powerful testimony of what the Spirit of God is doing in the church. And it says this, the church is the pilgrim people of God. Meaning, we're just passing through. It's on the move, hastening to the ends of the earth to beseech all men to be reconciled to God and hastening to the ends of time to meet its Lord who will gather all into one. It cannot be understood rightly except in a perspective in which, at once, missionary and eschatological, meaning eschatological, meaning that we stand in the tension realizing that the mission of God continues. We continue to advance. We continue to take ground. We continue to move. And in the tension realizing he's coming back when we complete our mission. And my question for you this morning, today, is what is your mission? Saturate Movement is a beautiful campaign where we donated a whole lot of money, but it's more than just money. What is your mission? What has God called you to do? Has he called you to make disciples of your neighbors? Has he called you to be part of a ministry in the church? What has God called you to do? Because it's clear in Matthew and also it's clear in other of the other gospels that God has commanded us to make disciples. And my question for you this morning, what is your mission? Is God calling you to full-time ministry, to be trained up to be a pastor or a leader? Is God calling you to go on the mission field, to die for the sake of the gospel? Is God calling you this morning to fight, to fight to see Christ Move in the hearts of Northeast Ohio? Is God calling you this morning to partner up with the chapel to see Christ formed in every city? What is your mission? You have the Holy Spirit. He's given you power. So what are you going to do with it? Just come on a Sunday morning to hear me talk? To go home? What is he calling you to do? Because here's my desire. I want to get to the end of my life. And I want to be able to look back if wherever the Lord will take me. I want to look back on my life and say I was exhausted and tired because I proclaimed the gospel. I want to my heart's desire is that at the moment of my death the kingdom of hell Satan and every demon cheering on that i'm dying because i am no longer in the fight that's what i want my life to be and no matter what age you are god is calling you to partner up on this mission to see the gospel advance despite every obstacle despite every hurdle Despite whatever problem we are faced, God is calling us to partner with him. And at the end of our life, say, I am tired. There is no more to give, but I know that I will see him face to face because I ran the race and it broke me and it broke my body. But guess what? I'm going to get a new one and I'm going to get to worship God for all of eternity proclaiming the name of Jesus. That's what I want my life to be. That's what I want our lives to be here at the chapel, to be exhausted and tired at the end of our road, knowing that we have faithfully pursued the mission of the gospel. Would you pray with me this morning? Why don't you take a minute in response to the sermon? Why don't you ask God, God, what do you want me to do in this season? What are you calling me to do? Is it in the church? Is it in the city? Is it in the world? don't you ask him to show you that, to open up doors, to give you the power of the spirit, the boldness to do the very thing that he wants you to do, and tell him, I want at the end of my life to be exhausted and overwhelmed by the gospel, knowing that I have done everything in my human ability by the spirit through the work of the church, to expand God's kingdom. Father God, we come to you today pleading with you that you would give us a deep passion to get on board, to be on mission for you. God, wreck our hearts wreck our schedules, wreck our desires, so that we can see you fully, a God who's moving in the city of Akron, in the state of Ohio, and to the ends of the earth, that we would have a strong desire to do the work of the ministry. Thank you for your spirit that enables us to be conformed to the image of Christ, but most importantly, that enables us to do the work of the ministry. God, we ask you to do this, not in our efforts, but in the efforts of the Holy Spirit as a testimony of your faithfulness to your people. We pray this in Christ's name. And the people of God say, amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed. We will have pastors up front to pray with you. Go in his peace. We'll see you next Sunday. This has been a message from the chapel. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about the chapel or any of our campuses, including Akron, Green, Wadsworth, Canmore, Cuyahoga Falls, Nordonia, and Medina, please go to our website at thechapel.life.